Welcome everybody to the DJ Fantasy Football Podcast, episode one of who knows how many. Um, so we are going to uh, we're going to jump right into it here. I am one of your co-hosts, Jordan, and I am with my co-host, Danny. Hello. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to run through some topics. These are going to be general fantasy um, topics or discussion points. Um, there is so much detail in fantasy football that we could obviously spend entire shows talking about one or two players, um, but just as kind of a primer for the season, we're going to give a quick overview of points that we've decided are relevant for people uh, when they're starting to really think about their drafts and start thinking about it seriously. Um, so the first item, which is the, the hot topic, as it were, in the football world, is uh, Ezekiel Elliott and his... Uh, possibly temporary suspension for six games. <laughs> so um, there are a number of ramic ramifications that the suspension has. Um, we're going to try and stick to the fa fantasy ramifications or the fantasy impact that his suspension has on his team, other teams, other players, and whatnot. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that if we say things like, I would draft Zeke here or I would draft him there, um, we're in no way endorsing or condoning anything that he does in his personal life. This is purely from a fantasy perspective. So I think it's important to to say that up front. So uh, as it stands right now, Zeke is suspended for six games. Um, we have to, uh, for now, operate under the assumption that that suspension is going to stand. So how does it, this impact him? Uh, before the suspension, he was going fourth overall in as an average draft position. Um, but obviously, it's a different story now. So if you're you, I mean, some people are probably thinking it might not be worth drafting him at all um, because the price may be too high. Um, there is a bye week within the first six weeks of their season, which means he won't be eligible to play again until week eight, which is Correct. more than halfway through a fantasy season. Yeah, normally the fantasy season will end around week 13, so you're really looking at about six games from him. Right. That's not ideal from someone who's still going within the first three rounds, but you're banking on the fact that you can get McFadden, maybe reach for him a little bit, and then those two combined will give you um, definitely in the top five, a uh, top five running back essentially for the year. Right. Because I mean, and I mean, working behind an offensive line that good. I mean, McFadden is already a decent running back as is, but especially working behind a line that's probably going to give him a couple yards before contact anyway. Um means you're coming away with not too bad of a season. Um, so right now, um, he dropped from going fourth in a standard uh, in a standard league all the way down to 26. Does that seem right to you? Yeah, that's someone saying at the bottom half of the third round, I think I can get enough value out of him. I can get two good players, and then once he comes back for the last half of, of the fantasy season, then I'll really be able to put myself in a good position. And that's where I think the value comes. Once you have maybe your top running back already, you have a good running back, you got your receiver, 
and now you're looking at a third option. I, I think that's right where he should be in that third round. I believe he provides good, good enough value to take him there. Yeah, agreed. And especially if you look at the names that come shortly after him, um, even with him missing a you know substantial part of the season, like you said, if you combine with McFadden, um, I would still take him above the guys who follow him. Lamar Miller, Demarius Thomas, Brandon Cooks, DeAndre Hopkins, Alshon Jeffrey. Maybe these guys have great seasons, but um, it's worth taking Zeke at that point, putting him away on your bench, and then take him out when he's off his suspension. Uh, if he serves the full six games um, and then ride out the remainder of the season with him into the playoffs when you're going to need it most anyway. Yeah. Yeah. If you're able to, to get um, let's say LaShawn McCoy in the first round, couple them with, with maybe a, a receiver in the, in the second, then you're really getting some good value there from, from Zeke at the, the second half of the season. You know what he's capable of. You know, he's going to get the ball a lot. You know, he's, he's going to be fresh for the last part of the season and he won't be touched probably about two to three yards before he gets touched anyway. I, I think that provides good enough value to, to take him and feel confident that you'll be able to, to have a good enough squad to get you to that end where he comes back, and then you are you should have the best uh, the best roster in, in the league. Right, right. Okay, so uh, let's move on. Uh, we got a <laughs> number of things to get through here. Um, so more big news that came on Friday in the NFL and that is uh, two huge trades, um, so both involving the Bills. So we had their star, albeit half the time injured, wide receiver Sammy Watkins go to the Rams, and then they picked up Jordan Matthews from the Eagles. So let's take a look at Sammy Watkins first. Um, I mean, he's obviously now, you actually have like an interesting offensive threat uh, in the in the uh, receiving core um, for the Rams. Yeah. So, but the only thing is he had good chemistry where he was with Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo. Now he's on a team where probably most people wouldn't choose for him to go to, <laughs> to get the best out of him. Um, in fact, he went to one of the most stagnant offenses in the NFL. So for you, um, but he's, he, I mean, he's still, when he's not injured, he's still an excellent receiver. So how does this affect his, uh, his draft position for you? Well, he's now basically being drafted as a sixth rounder. So in most cases, he's going to be either your third receiver, maybe even a guy off coming off your bench. That seems to be where I'm comfortable with him in that area. Um, I believe he was getting drafted too high to begin with in Buffalo because of the injuries. You kind of want some consistency on your roster. So him dropping all the way down to like the bottom of the sixth round, I, I can see the, the intrigue there because he is um, a really good receiver when there. But now in, 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 in Los Angeles, I don't know if it provides enough value with the name. Um, guys going right after him, uh, Blah Powell, Frank Gore. Frank Gore is still getting a lot of points even at, at his old age i i feel more comfortable taking someone like that than than getting watkins just because i don't know what i'm getting at this point is jared goff going to make take that next step is the offense going to be good at all is there anyone even on that team that you would take besides Gurley and feel comfortable with it's it's tough it's a tough 
I, I, I'll probably end up staying away. There's probably more options that I like that are a little bit lower down the, uh, the pool there. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that one. If I were to take Sammy Watkins, just because, you know, when you, like you said, when you combine the team he's on, the quarterback throwing to him, and the injuries, um, you have no idea what you're going to get out of him. So if I'm taking him, I would need him to be borderline free for it to be worth it for me. Um, just because I'd rather somebody who's going to occasionally get points because they occasionally get the ball versus someone who's occasionally going to get points because maybe they're injured. Yeah. Um, so, and I mean, for me personally, I, uh, I tend to steer clear of guys that are injury prone. Um, and so you've got a guy who's injury prone and then you've got a quarterback who may have only played seven games last season, but who in seven games threw five touchdowns and seven interceptions. Yeah. Not, so not great. Not great. Not great. I mean, Sammy Watkins could be perfectly healthy the whole season, be one of the best receivers in the league. But if his quarterback is throwing the ball to uh, defensive backs instead of receivers, then, you know, it's not really going to do you much good. Yeah, so ask DeAndre Hopkins, how that works. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So my general advice to people is to kind of steer clear of Sammy Watkins unless you want to take a risky move. Um, but even especially like you said, going going in the sixth round, that's that's too high for me when you can get guys like you also said who are right after him who are more dependable. Even a guy like Bilal Powell, um, I would rather take Frank Gore. Even Delaney Walker, super dependable. He's a tight end, so he's not going to get as many targets as a receiver. But I still, I would trust him more. I would feel more comfortable with him on the roster. Um, yeah, and you wouldn't be surprised if he outscored Sammy Watkins the whole year. And that's at a tougher spot to score points from. Exactly, exactly. Um, so then we've got Jordan Matthews. Um, this will probably be a pretty quick conversation. Um, you know, you're talking about a slot receiver who doesn't have the best hands in the world going from the Eagles to the Bills. Um, there are, I think, more question marks there than there are with Sammy Watkins, um, which could almost make this more dangerous. Jordan Matthews has flashed being a good receiver um, or decent, um, but you don't know what he's going to look like with Tyrod Taylor. You don't know if they're going to have any kind of chemistry. Um not that the Bills have much of a receiving core left now anyway, um, yeah. since Robert Woods has gone too, also to the Rams. Um, what are you thinking with uh, with Jordan Matthews? Jordan Matthews is going 14th round, so essentially your last bench spot. I'm okay with taking uh, one Bill, Bills receiver and hoping that's the guy that steps up. Him, Zay Jones, or Anquan, I'll probably end up with one of them, depending on how it, how it falls, who who gets left, or, or something like that. I'll probably end up with one in hopes that that becomes Tyrod Taylor's guy. Um, I'd probably have him third on that on that list. Um, but with Bolden most likely playing the slot the whole time, Matthews is going to play the outside. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that works. I'm not overly confident about it. But um, I, I, with my last bench spot, I'm willing to take a chance on, on a guy who has talent um and no one really that great in front of him right yeah i mean the th the thing too is even like you brought up zay jones i think he is even uh 
I would almost rather take him over Jordan Matthews just because the value is so much better. Um, because if you look at where Jordan Matthews is going, like you said, he's going, you know, at the start of the 14th round. I mean, you've got guys going after him who I think, you know, Richard Matthews is going uh, six spots after him. If it's my turn and I'm drafting somewhere in there and I need a receiver, I'm taking Richard Matthews over Jordan Matthews. Every time. Richard Matthews had almost 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns last season. Um, the year before that was a little rougher. He didn't play most of the season. And even last year, for the first half of the season or so, he wasn't really doing much. Um, so, But then you've got Zay Jones, who's going much, much later. <laughs> much later. Um, who in, you know, he's going 186 overall, which means he's basically free. Um, yeah. so I would rather wait. And if you're going to take a Buffalo receiver, I would rather take him or Anquan Bolden. Yeah. I would probably have that in that order too. Zay Jones first, then Bolden and then Matthews. But I, I, I don't hate taking a flyer on him with your last pick. Someone has to come out of that group to, to lead them in catches. Anquan Bolden is probably going to end up leading them in touchdowns. He had right. eight last year with Detroit. He just knows how to get open, and he can he catches everything. So he might develop that chemistry. But I, I'm okay with it. I probably won't have Jordan Matthews on my roster. I'll probably have someone like Zay Jones uh, as my last bench spot. But I'm not completely against taking a flyer on Jordan Matthews because for the most part, um, the guys you draft last two bench spots, they're usually the first guys off your roster anyway come week two or three. Right. So you have a little bit of a wiggle room there. If you take a shot, he doesn't really pan out. At least you know you have someone that you can just release come week two or week three if someone gets hot. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, and it's also, I mean, we maybe we can touch on this later when we talk about quarterbacks, but it's also interesting to see what's going to happen with Tyrod Taylor because these are three guys he's never played with before. Um, but, I mean, I think those of us who recognize Tyrod Taylor for what he is know that he's a really good quarterback. He's got a great arm. He's accurate. And so he should be able to do something with with these three guys, or especially with Zay Jones and, uh, and Anquan Bolden, a guy who gets open, a bigger guy. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch as well. Yeah, and you can make the argument that he has more talent on the offense this year than he did last year. Right. With Watkins not playing a whole lot. Watkins only finished with, I believe, 28 catches last year. So there's not a whole lot of production gone from that trade. Um, I think adding Zay Jones to the draft and then signing Bolden, trading for, for Matthews may give him more options and a little bit more help than he had last year. Yeah, exactly. It's not it's not like, oh, Sammy Watkins is leaving. Suddenly there are, you know, 300 or 250 targets available or <laughs> something like that. Yeah. You know, it's... Uh... You know, I mean, the best availability is availability, so um, not not exactly a huge drop off, unfortunately. Um, so, uh, speaking of the Rams, I mean, I know we just spent a little while dumping on Sammy Watkins. Um, <laughs> whether we did that unfairly, I'm not sure. Uh, but at any rate, um, the Rams' offense. Uh, who's worth drafting on that offense? Um, and normally I would say other than obviously Todd Gurley because people are like he's going to get drafted in every league. Someone's going to take him. Um, obviously he had quite the down year last year after a pretty amazing uh, rookie rookie season. Um, so I won't say except for him, but I would say I would add in there 
where would you take Todd Gurley? And uh, and do you think that he is going um, right where he should be, which is at the start of the third round, 23rd overall? Yeah, I, th- I think that's where I end up being comfortable with him. Again, that third round is, is an important round. You get two top guys on your team. And then that third option is really going to, I feel, make or break your season is that key third guy that you have. Um, Gurley was a top five pick last year because of how good he played in his rookie season. Um, They're adding talent around him, so maybe that takes an extra guy out of the box. I think he'll go somewhere in between those two seasons. Um, And for me, him going 1,100 yards, 10 touchdowns, that's enough to, to go into the early third for sure. Right. Um. And then in terms of receivers, I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, we already talked about Sammy Watkins, um, Tavon Austin. Um, he's an interesting, he's an interesting guy because he's, you know, he's clearly very, very talented, but for whatever reason, um, he just doesn't uh, scream out, you know, draft me. <laughs> um, so... Um, what are your thoughts on Tavon Austin? Tavon Austin is probably going to end up um, as one of those guys that we always will talk about being super talented and just not being used properly. This right. is his last chance, essentially, to be used in a way that, that affects the game or affects fantasy owners. Um, he's he's not even on the list. You can't even find him. They do 200 on ESPN's ADP. He's not there. Mm-hmm. He's He's a guy that you'll you would love to have on your team in in the NFL because he's such an option. You can break the game open with one play. Um, Fantasy-wise, I don't think he'll, he'll maybe ever be relevant. Right. Um, I, this is really his last chance. If, if, if McVay can get something out of him, use him in, in some proper packages, maybe you can see that explosion that warranted uh, that high of a pick in the first place. But um, at this point, there's so much history of him not being relevant that it's it's hard to think otherwise at this time yeah it's uh there are a few plays where players where you see such a contrast between fantasy relevance and real game relevance not that he's like an incredible not that he's super duper relevant um in the rams actual um you know success or lack of success i guess um (laughs) But, uh, you know, like you said, you know he's going to he's gonna have a few games here where he's going to break it open. He's going to have big plays. He's going to have some crazy return, um, you know, some kind of sweep that, you know, he goes off for a 60-yard touchdown. Um, but in terms of fantasy, it's just not worth it. So I think, um, you know, if somebody wants to take Sammy Watkins later, fine, in the hopes that he's healthy all year and in the hopes that Jared Goff uh, learns how to throw more touchdowns and interceptions. Um, then, yeah, but other than him and Gurley, I mean, I don't think it's really worth – it's certainly not worth sacrificing a draft pick uh, on any of those other guys. No, that's it. I think, I think we're at the point now where we're wait and see with, with the Rams offense at this point. Just kind of hopefully it gets woken up by, by Goff, hopefully Goff turns into the number one pick that they that they hope he can be but at this time it's really just girly in my mind that's that i'll have on my roster right and i mean another factor that we're not really that we haven't really discussed yet or discussed at all yet 
is um, they have a new coach. Uh, Sean McVay was the offensive coordinator in Washington um, and put together a pretty good offense there. So we don't know what the Rams offense is going to look like under him. Um, how much is he going to be able to open up that offense? Is he going to develop a proper passing game in, in uh, I uh, <laughs> said the wrong city, but in Los Angeles? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to say St. Louis Rams at some point, I'm sure. And I'm probably also going to say San Diego Chargers. So apologies yeah. in advance. But <laughs> um, at any rate, we don't know what that offense is going to look like with Sean McVay coaching it. So that remains to be seen. Um, so I want to talk about backfields for a bit, um, because running backs can be tricky. Um, you know, the running back position is highly valued in fantasy. Um, most years, the top few picks or the top couple of picks are running backs. Um, and as we were talking about before we started the show, you're starting to see more running backs moving up in their average draft position, which means people are recognizing how valuable they are. Given how valuable running backs are, it makes it especially frustrating in fantasy when you have teams who just don't have that guy in their backfield who's the guy who's going to get, you know, 60, 70 or more percent of the touches. Um, So I think it's important to unpack those kinds of backfields that make fantasy owners want to tear their hair out because there's going to be a production from there. And if you know how to play it right, then you can get a lot out of that. So um, first we have the Seahawks. So um, everyone, <laughs> everyone, uh, you know, talks about uh, Eddie Lacy is kind of being an underachiever. Um you know, he was his first year in Green Bay. He got injured, and then he came back, and he was decent. And ever since then, he's been eating too many cheeseburgers and not producing a lot. So, um, so you've got Eddie Lacy back there. He's going in the top of the seventh round. So, um, it's if you want to go for Eddie Lacy, you're not really uh, you're not risking too much. Um, to take him, but he is, that's the highest, uh, he is the highest, uh, running back in Seattle being drafted at the top of the seventh round. (laughs) Um, so that should kind of tell you what you need to know about their backfield. Um, but but what are you thinking? I really don't end up with, with Lacey. I just, I'm not comfortable with it at this time. If you are going to take Lacey, you have to handcuff them with Rawls. I mm-hmm. ended up with Rawls uh, quite a bit in, in mock drafts just because of how late he's going. Um, right. He's running with the first team in, in training camp and in games, in the first preseason game. I'll, I'll take a flyer as my last bench spot. He's going pick 150, so essentially free. Yeah. Definitely grab him at the end of the draft, try and, and hope that he will um, be available and be the starter right away. If not, at least you'll have that handcuff because who knows what Eddie Lacy can do at this time. At this point, they have a, a weight clause in his contract. Try to keep him fit. It's it's not a great look. So um, I'm definitely going to own Rawls in a lot of leagues as a lottery ticket, essentially hoping that Lacy screws it up. 
but if you take lace, you definitely handcuff him with Rawls. At least that way, you didn't really spend a whole lot on a starting running back position, and you're mm-hmm. guaranteed to get a starter out of that out of those two picks. Right. And uh, you know, in the times that we've seen Rawls, he's looked really, really, really good. Like almost excellent. Um, in 2015, Marshawn Lynch got injured. Rawls came in to fill in for him and just played out of his mind. So um, it's super interesting that Eddie Lacy is being taken so high uh, compared to Rawls. Like you said, you know, we've seen the preseason game now. Uh, he's running with the first team. Um, that's what he's been doing in, all through training camp or through a good part of training camp. Um, so it's, I guess actually when you, when you really unpack it, the Seattle backfield isn't too dangerous. Um, you know, if you want, cause basically it's not like you're using two picks to handcuff, uh, Eddie Lacey with Rawls because Rawls is basically free. It's like you're using one pick for the Seattle backfield. Exactly. And you're getting, you're going to get a starting running back out of, out of that pick. And right. You need a st- at least one guy. If, if he ends up as your flex and you're banking on the Seattle running back to be a flex, hopefully there is clarity by week two or three and there's a clear favorite and they're not splitting the whole time. But I believe right. that there will be a clear favorite by that time so you can feel comfortable with placing one of them in your lineup week in and week out. Right. And and because the because Eddie Lacy or, you know, because whichever one of them is going highest in drafts is going all the way in the seventh round, they don't have – they, as the starter – uh, don't have to be your running back one or two, or maybe even three. <laughs> um, so, so that's another plus there. Um, moving on to the Bengals. So we've got three potential guys here. You've got Joe Mixon, you've got Jeremy Hill, and you've got Giovanni Bernard. What do you make of this backfield? This one I'm a little less sure of. Um, everything you hear is Mixon is by far the best out of the three. Uh, Bernard's coming off of surgery, and Jeremy Hill, the fact that they drafted a guy with off-the-field question marks in the second round <laughs> says exactly what you need to know of how they think about Jeremy Hill. Right. Mixon will get most of the, the carries, I, I, I believe. Um, again, it's one of these things that it, maybe if you own Mixon, you take Jeremy Hill with your last pick just in case something happens or he underperforms. I mean, Jeremy Hill has been very consistent throughout. Mm-hmm. Almost a lock for, for double-digit touchdowns. They like to give him the ball. He's a battering ram near the near the end zone. So I I would handcuff, but I, I would feel comfortable with taking taking Mixon. He's going right now, looks like it's the top of the fifth round. Sixth round. Uh, top of the sixth, yeah. Top of the sixth round. That's that for me that's that's good enough value to, to take someone that has the chance to be an R B two all season with that offense. They like to run the ball. They've they've shown it year in and year out. Even with Jeremy Hill not playing extremely well, they still ran the ball. I believe they were in the top five in rushing attempts last year. Mm-hmm. They're gonna hand the ball off. They know they need to with, with Andy Dalton. So um <laughs> I'd feel comfortable with, with Mixon as my sixth pick. Um, right. Even if you have to reach a little bit end of the fifth round to take him, I, I, I'd feel comfortable with that if you can get him as, as, as a flex option because he has that upside to, to become a, an RB2, a high-end RB2. Right. 
And it's also worth noting that that is something you want to do if what you're looking for out of fantasy production is consistent yardage. Um, if you're looking for the guy who's going to be getting into the end zone all the time, um, I don't know if you want to handcuff Mixon with Jeremy Hill. If, you know, most standard leagues have a flex option. Um, if you want to have him in the flex so that he's not stealing all the touchdowns from your from your running back um, or, you know, from your RB2, um, then that's an option as well. But uh, I agree, if you're looking for someone who's you know is going to get you yardage every week, some guy who's probably going to put up, you know, at least eight, nine points a week, then uh, then Joe Mixon's not a bad pick at all at the top of the sixth round. So then we've got the Eagles. Eagles backfield is basically a few small guys and then a really big guy. Um, all of them serve different purposes. Um, got Wendell Smallwood. Um, Ryan Matthews is has he been cut yet? Not not as of this taping, no. Not a, not as of this taping. Um, I think zero people who are paying attention to that team would be surprised if he gets cut. Um, Smallwood's not a bad running back, but as his name suggests, he is small. Um, and then you've got even smaller with Darren Sproles, and then you've got big ligger blunt who i would think is going to get probably a number of the goal line touches it seems like that's why they brought him in um so what do you think is this is there a safe way to approach this backfield maybe it's best to steer clear of it all together well i'm i i feel comfortable taking blunt on my on my team um the fact that they had matthews smallwood and sprawls and they drafted a running back and then they added blunt after all of that i believe that he'll get enough carries to to, to be relevant it's going right. in the eighth round i yeah I'd, I'd feel comfortable taking him he'd be uh on my bench so i could even wait to see how it shakes out and then kind of pull the trigger on on, on taking him and putting him in my lineup i right. and he's going he's basically Going twenties, he's going in between Adrian Peterson and Paul Perkins for running backs. I'd right. feel more comfortable with him than either of those running backs, personally. Right. Adrian Peterson, you're not too sure how that shakes out, and Paul Perkins is a relative unknown. So, I I feel okay with with Blunt. I mean, the best way to make your young quarterback feel at ease is to hand the ball off, get a couple yards here and there, which Blunt can do, and then in the in the red zone, don't turn the ball over, hand it off to the big guy. Who knows how to get in the end zone? The best team in the world did that with the best quarterback in the world. They handed the ball off in the red zone. It's not rocket science. Hand him the ball. Right. He'll get touchdowns. Right. right. Seems simple enough. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's it seems unlikely he'll get you know 18 touchdowns again like he did last year. But um, it's not hard to imagining imagine him getting into the double digits, um, and then add that probably with not tons of yardage in a game. Um, you know, he's not going to be busting out 120 yards per game or anything like that, or even a hundred. Um, but if you're looking at a guy who's going to get you maybe 70 or 80 yards and, uh, and then with, uh, enough frequency is going to get into the end zone. Um, that seems like it's worth a guy. It's a guy worth taking in the middle of the eighth round. Yeah. That seems like a, a good spot for, for him. You don't have to have too much you don't expect too much from him but you can also take a flyer on a guy who 
who had a, 1,100 yards and 18 touchdowns last year. Right. So you have to think that Philly signed him for a reason. Um, you know, last year he averaged 5.4 a carry. So, you know, it's there. The production's yeah. there. Hand him the ball. Let him do his thing. He knows how to score touchdowns. Don't overthink it in the red zone. Right. It's not, it's not hard. We've seen it time and time again. Teams try and overthink the red zone. Hand it off. Get in. Go yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> we could think of some recent examples of teams that probably should have just done exactly that. Not to mention any names. Um, Seahawks. Niners. Niners. Four times. <laughs> um Maybe on some future show we'll do like things that boggled our minds the most in recent football history, <laughs> and we'll go into more details about that. Um, okay, so I just wanted to very quickly touch on the Saints because um, it's not like they have a crowded backfield, but it's getting there. It's certainly uncertain. Um, we have no idea what Adrian Peterson is going to look like. Um, we do, however. Um, know how his partner is going to look like in the backfield. So what, uh, I mean, is Adrian Peterson worth, um, worth the risk? Do you handcuff, handcuff him, take them both? What are you thinking? It's hard to handcuff them both just because they're going in consecutive rounds. Right. So do you really want to waste your sixth and seventh pick? And then them split carries the entire season. One get the bulk of the work, and then one get goal line touches. You're not sure. If you're confident, you want to take them both, put them both in your lineup and start. I did that last year at times with uh, Devonta Freeman and Devin Coleman. Mm-hmm. So you have them both in your lineup. You can feel confident anytime a running back touches the ball, you're getting points. It is dangerous because one might have a good game and one most likely won't. Right. It's It's hard to take that and take both of them, take either of them, and feel confident with it. Um, Ingram didn't touch the ball in the red zone for the most part anyway last season. They kind of went away from him once they got into the red zone. So um, I feel more confident with Ingram just because he's not as touchdown dependent, you would think. They would try and get him the ball in space. They They like to use him in the passing game, so he'll have that advantage over Peterson. But you could see Peterson getting 12 touchdowns just because of how they run their offense in the red zone. Right. Right. So would you advise people to, because I mean, like you said, you know, you got Mark Ingram who's going in the late sixth round. Adrian Peterson's going in the late seventh round. Um, If somebody is really bent on taking one of them, I mean, it seems like Mark Ingram is a choice there just because we know what he's going to do this year. Um, Because even if Adrian Peterson is back to his old self, Mark Ingram is not going to become irrelevant in that backfield. He's still no. going to be catching passes out of the backfield. They're still going to utilize him in a number of spots. Um, so if I'm taking one of them, if I had to take one of them, I would probably go with Mark Ingram just because we know what we're getting out of him. And we know how he works in that offense. We right. don't know how they're going to use Peterson just yet. Right. Are they going to use him as their primary back and have Ingram kind of work in as the third down back, them kind of split second down essentially? We don't know yet, and for me, with that uncertainty, I'm not willing to spend that high of a pick. You know, Ingram's going before Frank Gore. I, I, I just don't see how. I don't see how you get 
the same value there. Right. Gore is clearly the starter on an offense that will score, and he continues to put up points every year. People are just ranking him that low because it's Frank Gore, and he does nothing spectacular, and he's old. Right. But the points are still there year in and year out, and you're just banking on the fact that this will be the year that he falls off when you're banking on Ingram getting more touches. I, I just don't see it. I would take Gore every day over, over Ingram for sure. Right. Okay. Uh, so uh, lastly, in terms of backfields that are a pain in the butt, we're going to talk about probably the most annoying backfield to try and manage when it comes to fantasy, um, and that's the Patriots. Um, yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> everyone, I mean, most people will say that when they think about the Patriots in any in any way. Um, but especially when it comes to fantasy, most fantasy owners go, "Ugh," Could, just because you don't know what they're going to do. It's not like, oh, we don't know who's going to emerge as the number one back. It's, oh, some guy could be the number one back for three weeks and then he could disappear and they might never feature him again in a game. So, um, and now they actually have a backfield, not just full of a bunch of guys, but a bunch of good players. Um, It's not like there is a super clear cut, you know, one, two, three, four. Um, Everyone in their backfield averaged at least 4.6 yards per carry last year (laughs) (laughs) which is insane (laughs) um so it's not like oh here's the one guy who is like amazing and then uh we've got other guys to use in certain situations um all that being said you've got pro i mean (laughs) we say this with caution but probably the guy who would be as close to a number one back as they might have would be Gillisley. Um, Mike Gillisley is an excellent running back. He played very well last year. Um, he averaged 5.6 yards per carry last year. And he's going in the top of the ninth round. So um, if you want to gamble on some Patriots running back I would say you can try gambling on him um, you know using your ninth round pick is not the end of the world um, on him when he is going to get touches he's he's going to be the back that gets the goal line touches if they're handing the ball off um, I mean hopefully I would think but again you never know what's this team um, what do you make of this backfield for the most part, I'm going to stay away. I probably won't own any um, Patriot back. Gillespie is definitely the one to own if you want one. But for me, right now he's going in between Perkins and C.J. Anderson, two guys that are definitely the starters going in. Right. I feel more comfortable with either of them. Even though Perkins doesn't have a track record, there's no one really behind him. Right. And C.J. Anderson, every time he's been healthy, he's been a really good fantasy option. So... I probably won't own him where he's where he's being drafted, but again, they lost 18 touchdowns from from Blunt last year. They're a team that will run in the red zone. Mm-hmm. They like to do it. I mean, the last play they ran last season, handoff in the red zone. Right. Oddly enough, not Blunt, and that's right. kind of where the Patriots are. Just when you think they're gonna zig, they zag. So, for me, I'm I'm gonna lay off that 
that backfield just because from week to week it might be someone else and you don't want to get stuck with Mike Gillisley putting him in your lineup after a big game and then he gets two points because the Patriots went away from him or he fumbled right in the first <laughs> quarter and he didn't see the field again so for me I'm I'm not comfortable putting anyone in my lineup so I won't own any of them if I can't feel confident with them in my lineup yeah, I think as a as a general principle, unless you see something happening like Legarrette Blunt last year, um, it's probably a good idea to steer clear of them. Um, just because, like you said, you know, uh, one of their players can fumble in the first quarter and he won't see the field for the rest of the game, maybe longer, depending on who he is, um, yeah. or he might have an amazing game and then they might barely use him the next one just to throw off whatever defense they're playing against that week gives uh defensive coordinators fits trying to plan for these guys um so overall i think our collective advice to people is to just steer clear of that backfield altogether when it comes to fantasy um just because it's not and it's not even necessarily oh you know we don't know who the who the clear-cut starter is or who the clear-cut number one back is it's just there's a lot of potential of oh i benched that guy and now he's getting tons of points on my bench that, yeah, that happens. Or he's with in my lineup and he got three carries. Right. Meanwhile, Brandon Bolden, for some reason, gets a hundred yards and a touchdown that game, and nobody gets anything because no one has him. Yeah. Or supposed to be Super Bowl MVP James White gets goal line carries for some reason. Right. So. <laughs> right. Um, and for those people who saw James White with his, you know. 13 catches 140 yards or 14 catches under whatever it was three touchdowns two point. for those people who are looking at james white and fantasy because they saw him play amazingly well in the super bowl with a, an mvp performance um he's going in the 13th round and there's a reason for that <laughs> um a lot of the reason why he saw so much play in the super bowl is because Deion lewis wasn't fully healthy um Deion lewis is plays sort of the same kind of role except he's much more versatile than james white so if you want for some reason to take that one uh patriots running back who's good at catching the ball who's good in open space i would even recommend just waiting until the draft is over because deon lewis is basically free um you know he's going in the 18th round which doesn't exist in like most leagues so um so it's you're better off not drafting him than just you know picking him up uh you know, off the waiver at some point. Okay, so there are a couple of receivers that we need to talk about. Guys who were thoroughly disappointing last year and whether or not they'll bounce back this year. Um, so last year, a lot of people wasted first-round picks on DeAndre Hopkins. He was going fourth last year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, overall, not just amongst wide receivers. He was going fourth overall last year and i mean you know i don't want to point the finger at brock osweiler but brock osweiler um yes enough so said. yeah enough said so what's going to happen with him this season is he worth i mean right now his uh his average draft position is actually seems about right for me he's going at the very um at the very end of the third round or top of the fourth round yeah um that kind of seems right although 
even then. Okay, so I'm gonna list if I'm gonna tell you if you guys are going after him, and tell me whether you're taking him or them first. Who would you rather, yeah. Hopkins or Trail Pryor? I, I would take Pryor. Who I trust take? Cousins more than I trust whoever's throwing in Houston. Right. So you would take Pryor prior to Hopkins. Yeah, walked okay. into that one. <laughs> Sorry. Couldn't help it. There are going to be puns on this podcast from time to time. Um, and I'm going to cross positions here, but uh, with that pick, with your fourth round pick, are you taking Hopkins or Isaiah Crowell? I'd probably take Hopkins because at that spot, he's probably my wide receiver too. And that's mm-hmm. where I feel comfortable with him is at, as my second receiver because he has the potential to go for 12 and 12. 1200 yards 12 touchdowns i he has that capability has that talent and i believe they know that they didn't use him properly last season i believe he's going to have a bounce back season so i'd feel comfortable taking him in that spot at 30th overall or 31st somewhere in that range as my third or fourth pick okay yeah especially if i could get let's say two running backs my first two picks and then my next two picks i double down i get hopkins and Pryor. I'd feel comfortable with, with, with that team. Right. And another receiver that kind of fell off last year after having an amazing 2015 season is Allen Robinson. So uh, Blake Bortles. <laughs> so Allen Robinson is going much later. He's going at the end of the fifth round. Which seems um, about right. Yeah, seems about right. So the good news is, uh, like, we're not expecting him to... I think we're expecting another kind of down season, especially in an offense that is really going to be... Looks like they're going to be a very ground-and-pound offense. Good defense, good running back. Minimize what Blake Bortles has to do for you. All that translates to Allen Robinson probably having kind of a similar year he did last year to what he did last year um and yeah like you said the end of the fifth round seems right you don't have to sacrifice anything to get him um or you know anything uh that seems out of the question or unnecessary so um i would probably take him right around there as well um i mean i guess i wouldn't feel bad taking him there but (laughs) i mean if i end up there i'm probably going to be looking for someone else just because you don't know. Um, but looking at the people around him, I mean, the company he's keeping, let's go like three on either side. Um, we were talking Golden Tate, Ty Montgomery, Larry Fitzgerald, then Robinson, then Devontae Adams, Joe Mixon, and Emmanuel Sanders. Um, depending yeah, you'd, on... You'd, you'd have to think he's somewhere in between his seasons, right? You'd, right. He had he had four he had fourteen hundred yards and fourteen touchdowns two seasons ago. Yeah. Big had, big numbers. Yeah. Then he dropped to uh not quite half, but almost half. He had eight hundred and eighty three yards last year with six touchdowns, so less than half the touchdowns, almost half the yards. Yeah. And you'd have to think now with an with, with an actual running game that they they might have to put an extra guy in the box because of how good Leonard Fournette is. If that is the case and teams are now game planning against their running game, you could see Allen Robinson going back over a thousand yards 
maybe getting 1,100, maybe eight touchdowns. Right. If he's in that range, he's a wide receiver too. Right. And I think that because he took such a, a step back from where he was last season, people are down on him, but he still had 800 yards and six touchdowns. Right. That's not, and, and that was a, a, a down year where he you felt he wasn't being used enough. Right. So if he gets used properly in this offense, then you can kind of see maybe 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns, and then you feel confident putting him in your lineup every week. Right. And it's I just want to highlight the fact that you're talking about how he's getting used. It's not, uh, it's not like he himself was a worse player. It's mainly usage. And to, to, to emphasize that, so I just want to point out two quick numbers here. So 2015, he had 1,400 yards, 14 touchdowns. Then he drops to 883 yards and six touchdowns. But in 2015, he had 80 receptions. And in 2016, he had 73. Yeah. He only had seven fewer receptions and had less than half the touchdowns and almost half the receiving yards. Yeah. So but using him differently, right? I think, was, was the issue there. It was not using him where his strength is, is downfield. He's getting 17 and a half yards a catch. Then it went down to 11. Six yeah. yards uh, six yards less a catch. I just, it, it, I don't know why that was. I don't know. I'm, I wasn't watching Jacksonville games all year. Was, right. No one would want to put themselves through that except for Jaguar fans. I just don't <laughs> see how it ends up as bad again. From yeah. from, 11, from 17 5 to 12 1. It just seems five yards less. It just seems ridiculous. I you'd have to think that kind of evens out. Yeah. And yeah. he gets you know, he had big plays. Like even just the twenty yard plays. He had thirty one in twenty fifteen, down to eleven last year. Right. So all these all, all these catches are underneath probably little slants, little hooks, some things like that. Whereas if you really want to use him properly, he's six three. Let him run downfield and go get the ball. Let him yeah. jump over some people then you'll get that full value. But again, you're hoping that Blake Bortles stays okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, people talk about like, oh, over the last two years, he's had such and such, you know, you know, I mean, you know, he's done so well in fantasy, but people combine the years because it was the two years ago when he had whatever it was, 36 touchdowns and 14 picks or something. <laughs> that was, that got him all the, uh, you know, that boosted him up there. Um, but yeah, you know, if, if Allen Robinson levels out, if he gets, you know, 900 yards, 10 touchdowns, something like that, or a thousand and 10 or a thousand and nine at the end of the fifth round. Yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that production at the end of the fifth round. And that's it. And, and that's why people like to base, um, what happened last year on what'll happen this year. There's a lot of that in, in the rankings. Right. So you just have to, to believe in, in the talent. You believe in the talent. You believe that they'll be able to use him properly this year rather than last year. Then I think right. you're going to get a steal at in, in that spot because he's capable of so much more than what he did last season. Same thing with right. DeAndre Hopkins. You just believe that the talent will win out and the teams will realize that they have such a unique talent and to use it properly. Right. Okay, so we're going to do, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but we're going to do a quick overrated and underrated. So uh, give me one or two players that you think are overrated right now based on average draft position. 
um, just quarterbacks in general. Um, uh, not just quarterbacks, <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Rogers yeah, so... and Brady at 15 and 17, uh, just, just baffles me with all the information that we have now right. that people okay, are still so... doing that. But <laughs> other than that, um, I'd probably say Gronk at 14 right. seems, seems high for someone who you might get three games out of, you might get eight you might get 12 we don't know right and to have that as your second pick you're putting a lot of stock into the fact that he's going to be available for 16 games you're banking on that at that point because it's your second pick you need someone that's going to be consistent yeah game in game out you're banking on something that's happened once in the last six years so or you're banking on him scoring so much in the games he's there that he balances it out but then you still need to find a replacement for four five six games which it's hard. Yeah. Replacing your second round pick is tough. <laughs> it's yeah. very, and especially when it's that kind of production that you're expecting. Um, yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And I guess what I should have said from the start, we'll exclude quarterbacks. <laughs> we're going to get into fantasy football and quarterbacks in a bit. Um, for me, the, I don't think this guy is super overrated. Um, but the guy that I'm going to say is, I think, a little overrated is Jay Ajayi. Um, because he's, just, I mean, and it's purely, it's purely where he's going. And people will look at his yards. I mean, people are probably looking at his overall numbers from last year. A little under 1,300 yards, eight touchdowns. Um, and he's going at the end of the second round. So on the surface, it looks like that makes sense, but this is a guy who had multiple 200-yard games last year. Did it a couple times in a row. Um, I don't see that happening again. And it's you're talking about where very very you know a small number of games really inflated his stats last year. Um, if those are because you can't assume that normal production for a running back is 200 yards a game. You can't assume that if he has general, you know, normal performances, then instead of almost 1300 yards, you're probably talking about something like mm, 900 yards. So uh, for me, where he's going right now, uh, which is 19th overall, that seems a little high just because looking at guys after him, I see guys I would, I see a couple guys I'd rather take. Um, I'd rather take Leonard Fournette over JHI. Um, although now, <laughs> granted, when I did this, it was when I was thinking about this, um, I wasn't actually, this was pre Tannehill disappearing. <laughs> so yeah. Jay Cutler in the mix, mix actually changes a lot of this. Um, that being said, there are a few guys I would probably still take over him. Guys that I think are going to be more consistent that I trust a little more. Um, even, you know, uh, I would take Marshawn Lynch over him. I would take Leonard Fournette over him. Um, and if I'm going to, uh, if I'm going to cross positions as well, um, I would take Amari. These are all guys who are going after him. I would take Amari Cooper over him. Um, Demarius Thomas, who, even though he seems to people, you know, people seem to think he's lost it. He still quietly has good, good years every season. Um, yeah. Those are guys that I'm going to take over Jay Jai. 
Yeah. Yeah, you know, he, he is someone that you expect to regress because of how how good of a season he had at the end, rushing for those 200-yard games. But I I wouldn't be against taking him at, at the end of the second or the beginning of the third if you really believe that Gase will try and ease Cutler into the offense, run the ball. He liked to do that that one year that he had Cutler when they were in Chicago together, kind of right. used the running game a little bit. Um I, I wouldn't be, I mean, going one spot after DeMarco Murray feels like you're not getting proper value because right. how good Murray could be in that offense again in the second year. Um, right. it, again, it depends how comfortable you are. I, most people will probably take Fournette and feel better about it because you know what you're going to get from him. You know you're they're going to try and give the ball to him as much as possible because you don't take someone with the fourth overall pick if you're going to split carries with them. Right. You're going to try and run him into the ground, essentially. Um, the same thing with Gurley. You know Gurley is going to get a bulk of, of handoffs. You know they're they're not going to do a whole lot in the passing game. Whereas with Miami, they have so much talent on offense that they might try and throw the ball a lot. Um, but I, I, I'm fine with him in that spot. I think you're going to get good enough value. I think he'll rush for over 1,000 yards this year again. Um, it just depends what they do in the red zone. Right. Because... It's, uh... Yeah, I mean, it is going to depend on, depend on what his touchdown production is. Um, because just, just to go into a little more detail for, um, you know, when I say, oh, you take away those big games, I mean, he still had the big games. And maybe I'll have big games like that again. But he had three games where he ran rushed for over 200 yards. He had one game, other than those, that he rushed for over 100 yards. Other than that, I mean, he only eclipsed, he only eclipsed 100 yards four times all season. So, and if you look at a lot of those other numbers, it's not even like, oh, he almost got to 100. I mean, I'm going to go backwards here from the from the end of the season. So, and I'm going to exclude the, the games over 100 yards. I mean, you're looking at 59, 51, 48, 61, 45, 77, 79. The closest he came to 100 outside of those games, 42, 33, 28, and 14. Yeah, granted at the beginning it was a lot of a lot of split carries. He wasn't playing. Right. So even but even if you go through the second half of the season, um and we can even just look at the fantasy week so we can stop at, you know, week uh I mean week sixteen is usually where the you know, where people's championships are. Um but even in the late latter half, there was the one game where he had hundred and eleven yards, another game where he had two hundred and six, but other than that I mean, 77, 45, 61, 48, 51, and 59. Uh, so <laughs> raises a, a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a question mark for me. It's just, it's so much inconsistency. Maybe he'll do amazingly well for you and put up, you know, 30 fantasy points. Or maybe he'll give you four. So anyway. Okay. So, um, now, in terms of underrated, who's your who for you is one of the most underrated or one of the main underrated players in your mind? For me, someone who I end up with a lot um, is Pierre Garcon. He's mm-hmm. going in the eighth round, so essentially a bench player. He's going to be the top option in San Francisco. Shannon's going to want to throw the ball a little bit. He's got a competent quarterback in Hoyer. 
who, when healthy, can put up numbers. I think Pierre Garçon at PBR League, um, I think he could have 90 catches, 95 catches this year, just because there's no one else there to catch. And he's going to be a leader on that team, and I think they're going to look to get him involved. Taking him in the eighth round, I'm I'm more than okay. I in in a PPR league, I probably have him as a flex. I'd probably even be comfortable with him as a wide receiver too. So to get him in the eighth round there, I think that's that's really good value to, to pass up. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And um, for me, just because we're uh, it's not almost out of time, but we're getting to that point, um, so we'll just kind of kind of push it along here. Um. For me, one guy that I think is underrated in terms of average draft position is Isaiah Crowell, who is going in the middle of the fourth round. Um, I think he is. I think he's a stud. I think he's an excellent running back. I think as they, I mean, you know, there's still some question marks. I mean, uh, the quarterback position there, obviously, you know, Deshaun Kaiser, who granted had a decent first preseason game but it is preseason. But given that you've got Sean Kaiser, you've got um, Kessler, and then you've got Osweiler. With those quarterbacks, I feel like they're going to be handing the ball off a lot while they figure things out, whichever quarterback it is. Uh, so I really like Isaiah Crowell going partway through the fourth round. Um, I think that uh, it's good because you don't have to reach. And I actually like him better than a number of the, uh, well, not a number, but certainly a few of the running backs. I would like him over Todd Gurley. Um, I would like him, I would probably, I mean, maybe that I'm overvaluing him here, but I would take him over Lamar Miller as well. Um, I mean, there's like Matt Ryan and Drew Brees are going before him, which (laughs) makes no sense to me. But anyway, um, in the middle of the fourth round. Are you worried at all with, with some of the production? I know you had question marks about Ajayi with those weird games. I'm mm-hmm. just looking at it right now. Looks like he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games under 30 rushing yards. Does that worry you at all? Um, I mean, just the way things are looking going into the season, um, it maybe it doesn't worry me as much as it should. Um. But to me, I just feel like he, um, yeah, I feel like he just, he's, I think he sees the field a little better than Jay, I think. Um, I mean, I'm just, I'm just pulling it up now. I probably should have had this. uh. (laughs) He didn't have a single game of 20 carries either. So do you think that they'll give him more and then the production will be higher, therefore making him a steal in that round. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're looking at a guy who didn't have a single game with 20 carries, and he still put up almost 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns. Yeah, he finished so, as, as running back 14 standard. Right. So, I mean, it's kind of like uh, along the same lines as you're talking about using him properly, like we were talking about with Allen Robinson. I mean, he's his lack of production is purely from lack of touches, I think. Um, Cause when you give him the ball, he's doing things. Um, he's averaging 4.8 yards per carry, which is great. Um, he almost had a thousand yards without ever touching the ball more than 20 times in one game. Yeah. Um, and given those lack of touches still had seven touchdowns. 
So, and then if you're a PPR, I mean, he's not like, he's, no one looks at him and says, oh, there's a pass catching back. But, I mean, he still had 40 receptions. He still had over 300 receiving yards. Um, yeah. So, for me, that late, I, I love it. I love it. Okay, so let's talk quarterbacks. We're going to make this pretty quick. This is more <laughs> just a disclaimer um, as people prepare, prepare for the fantasy season. Um, and you already touched on this, but people love quarterbacks. They like to draft quarterbacks high um, because they look at the number of fantasy points that quarterbacks get and say, oh, that's worth a higher pick. But when drafting, the idea isn't to draft the players that are going to get more points than other players of different positions. The idea is to draft the players that are going to get more points than other players of the same position. So what it comes down to is plain and simple quarterbacks. The best quarterbacks in the league don't score as many fantasy points compared to other quarterbacks that are worse as when you look at running backs and the number one or, you know, let's say the top five running backs in the league are going to do way better, much, much, much better than like the 15 to 20 running backs as opposed to quarterbacks when you're talking about the top five versus like the 15 to 20 quarterbacks. So that was kind of confusing. So just to, <laughs> just to break that down, just to, uh, to break that down for people. I mean, so the, like the top two backs in the league right now, and especially with Zeke uh, being out of the picture in terms of at the top, you've got Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson. They're your one and two. If you look at, if you go down to let's say uh, six or let's say fourteen and fifteen, Isaiah Crowell, Carlos Hyde, two clear number one backs. Um, but that's still a pretty big drop off from guys like Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson. You're talking a whole other class altogether. Then you go over to quarterbacks. You've got Rodgers and Brady, one and two, and then you go fourteen and fifteen, and you've got Ben Roethlisberger and Tyrod Taylor. The difference between Rodgers Rogers and Brady and Big Ben and Taylor, Tyra Taylor is much smaller than the difference between Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson and Isaiah Crowell and Carlos Hyde, or Carlos Hyde and Ty Montgomery. Um, so because the difference isn't as great, it's strongly advised against to take a quarterback high. My suggestion personally is to take a quarterback outside of no higher than the seventh round, personally. Um, but I mean, if you look at average draft positions, I mean, people are taking them in the second round, multiple quarterbacks. Um, we've got Aaron Rodgers going 15th, Brady going 17th. And then, um, I guess, and then the next one is Breeze down in the fourth round. But even that seems high for me for a quarterback. Um, yeah, I, I won't be drafting any of those guys i won't own any of them i'll be looking more in the kirk cousins tyrod taylor range because right. i feel like i'll get more value out of my other spots and my team will be more complete by the end of it than reaching for a quarterback so that i can feel good that i have a star quarterback you're missing out on too much talent the fact that some that that people are taking aaron Rodgers before michael thomas makes no sense to me yeah i don't know been... why you're wasting a second round pick when you can get Michael Thomas and Kirk Cousins rather than Aaron Rodgers 
and someone in the sixth, seventh, eighth round as a receiver. There's no way you get the same value. Yeah, not not even close. I mean, you can right now you can get Kirk Cousins in the middle of the ninth round. Almost five thousand yards last year and twenty five touchdowns. The year before that, almost forty two hundred yards, twenty nine touchdowns. I mean, this you're talking about good value, um, excellent value given where they're <laughs> given where they're going. It's like you said, it's worth stocking up your roster with talent with running backs, receivers, and then at the very least, once you've filled your starting lineup with running backs and receivers and then probably a couple bench guys, okay, then it's time to start looking at quarterbacks. See uh, see who you can take once you start getting into that 8th, ninth, or later round. Jameis Winston also going at the in the ninth round, um, who's going to have a loaded offense with tons of weapons this year. Um, so if Jameis Winston can take that next step, he's going to be excellent. Um, and then you go even farther down. Marcus Mariota is, was excellent down the stretch last year. You know, he was giving you games of 30, 35 (laughs) points a game, which is insane. Not per game, but there were games where he was giving you that much. Um, you've got, I mean, even a guy like Stafford who's going at the end of the 10th round, I don't love Stafford, but at the end of the 10th round, he's good enough. He's good enough that it's worth waiting. If you're stuck with him, it's not the end of the world, as long as you've been loading up on good backs and good receivers prior to taking him. So if you're thinking of taking a QB high, do not do it. Unless you are in the league that Danny and I are in, in which case definitely use a high pick on a quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely use your first round pick on a quarterback. Leave the talented guys for the rest of us. Okay, so um, we're nearing the end of it. Um, we've got about, uh, about 10, 15 minutes left. So I wanted to talk outside of fantasy football, just have a little fun with it, and let's go with, um, let's go with predictions for uh, division winners. Um, we don't need to go in too big of an explanation because, um, you know, we could probably fill an entire podcast about each division easily. Oh, yeah. Easily, about one team for sure. Um, so let's just give a quick rundown here. Who do you have? Who are your, who's your, I mean, uh, I guess as a formality, AFC East, um, obviously I think we both would. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we don't need to go into the AFC. Yeah. We don't even have to bother with that. Okay. That's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Has been for 15 years now. So yeah. (laughs) Especially with Tannehill out. So the dolphins are no longer competitive. The Bills no. decided the rebuilding, even though the guys that they got rid of to rebuild are still young enough to to, to be there throughout the rebuild and still be in their prime. But anyway, um, so AFC North. I mean, Steelers. Can we agree on that? That's where I'm leaning currently. Um, if they get 16 games from Bell, I'm sure they'll win 11, 10 or 11. And I don't think Ravens, Bengals, or Browns could could win that many. Right. Okay, so we can just <laughs> move right along. Then this is good. We'll do. We're doing it expediently. Uh, so AFC South, a little harder to call. Um, yeah. What are you thinking? I'm leaning towards Texans right now. Um, they made the playoffs without a quarterback or JJ Watt. Right. So I'm leaning towards taking them over the 
Colts, the Titans. I don't know what you're getting out of Andrew Luck just yet. He's a little banged up. The Jaguars, I'll believe it when I see it. And the right. Titans. <laughs> Titans are probably the biggest threat to, to the Texans, but I just don't see how they they score on that defense, especially with those two pass rushers coming off the line. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think the best case you made right off the bat, you made the best case for the Texans, and that is they made it to the playoffs without a quarterback or JJ Watt. <laughs> um so I like the Texans as well for that one. That being said, I wouldn't be surprised if the Titans took that division. No, um, I, I don't I think, think I'd be surprised if any of them won the division. Right. I I might be surprised if the Colts did it, and I feel bad um, because, but it's, I just, the the defense I don't think is, is good enough to to actually take that division. If the Jaguars are as good on the field as they are on paper for the first time, we've been waiting for this for like two or three years now. But if the Jaguars are finally as good on the field as they are on paper, then they could take that division. Um, so, yeah. but in the end, I, I still I would pick the Texans. Yeah, um, AFC West. What AFC West is relatively wide open. It's hard to go against the Raiders at this time. They just have too much talent. That's just right. how it breaks down. They're just too much talent everywhere on the field at all times. Right. Um, I think they'll go in the 13-3, range. I think that'll be enough to, to win that division. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I have them going 12-4. and four. That being said, I mean, people like to talk about the, you know, the Chargers injury bug and, you know, they really get, <laughs> they get hit with the it's injury bug. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Last week, it was like every week for the first month, they had like an amazing, they had like the best player at X position getting injured for the season, out for the season. Please don't remind me. Right. My apologies. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, but the thing with the Raiders is you're right. They're absolutely loaded with talent for when, in terms of their starters, but some important positions like receiver and quarterback injury hits and you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we saw what happened last season when Derek Carr got injured, the Raiders won the playoffs, but they might as well not have been. Um, and then you look at the receivers, you know, Crabtree and Amari Cooper, both super talented receivers. Amari Cooper has some work to do. Crabtree has been playing amazingly since he got to Oakland, but one of those guys goes down and suddenly that receiving core or the, that offense went from terrifying to, okay, we can handle this. So, um, that being said, as long as health isn't a factor, I expect the Raiders to take it. Um, but I think the division is going to be super competitive, except the Broncos. But, I mean, their defense will win them a few games. But <laughs> even in their first preseason game, you look through the box score and you're like, oh, a defensive touchdown to start the game. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's uh, picking up where they left off last year. Yeah, that's um, how Broncos win games last, I don't know, seven years, if you take out the Peyton Manning years. Right. With Tim Tebow and the whatever quarterback they're throwing out this year, it'll be a lot of... Hope and pray that the defense bails you out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's hop over to the NFC. Um, The NFC East. For me, I have the Giants winning this division. Yeah. You know, their defense is excellent. They were second in the league last year in terms of DVOA. Um, 
and I mean the receiving core is excellent. The only concern is the ground game, but in t- at times last year, we saw Paul Perkins run the ball pretty well, well enough to give the Giants a ground game that has to be respected a little bit. Um, which of course opens up the passing game. And if you open up the passing game for that trio of Sterling Shepard, Brandon Marshall, and of course, uh, Odell Beckham Jr., that's a pretty scary team to play against. Um, and believe me when I, I mean, I know I'm scared of the Giants, even if they have nobody on that team. Um, yep. <laughs> cause you know, they've won Super Bowls with like garbage offense before. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Um, but for me, I have the Giants taking the NFC East. Yeah, I think that that's where most people will lean, especially with the uh, the Zeke suspension. Mm-hmm. Their offense gets worse. They don't have a great defense. I don't think any of the other two teams could could challenge them. I think the Giants will will win that division, maybe by by two games. If they can really get out to a good start with that uh, with that offense and that defense, I I think that's that's a safe assumption at at this point. Yeah. Uh, NFC North. What do you think? Yeah, give me Packers. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's where we're at with this. Yeah. This is slowly creeping into Patriot territory with, with this team now. Yeah, I mean, just it just doesn't make sense to bet against Aaron Rodgers. Um, it's typically, it's kind of, yeah, it's basically a foregone conclusion this time that the... The Vikings you know, started 6-0, and and we still kind of figured that the Packers were going to win the North. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, we're at that point now. We just expect teams to falter and Aaron Rodgers to, to prevail. We're, we're at that point now where we just expect greatness from him every time, rightfully or wrongly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, NFC South. This is interesting. You've got um, a, a super talented team in Atlanta where their offense may look very different than it did last year. Now that Kyle Shanahan's gone, Super Bowl hangover is a real thing. Maybe <laughs> the whole team is still dejected from the worst, you know, the worst loss in Super Bowl history. Um, and then you've got other things happening, like a Panthers team that had their Super Bowl hangover last year, and personally, I think is going to bounce back in a big way this year. Um, I think Cam Newton is still an excellent quarterback. I don't see last year as, uh, you know, a good example of what he can do. I think he's closer to the quarterback we saw the year before that, though I think that's a bit exaggerated of where he actually is. I think he's closer to that than he was of what we saw last year. Um, So then you've got a a Tampa Bay team where their defense looked really good for a number of games last season, and their offense – is loaded this year if and we we're touching on this before but if winston takes that next step that offense can be can transcend and be really really good yeah. um and then you've got the saints who are you know gonna lose a bunch of games 45 to 43 um so what do you what do you think this is another division that if any of the four won the division you wouldn't be shocked you could see it happening because of the quarterbacks that are in that division. You could see even the worst team, probably the Saints, you could see them winning the division because Drew Brees is Drew Brees. Right. I'm leaning towards the Panthers right now. I don't trust Jameis Winston just yet. Too many unforced errors, just brain farts, Um, even with the most talented team he's had. Super Bowl hangover is a real thing. I don't think 
the Falcons are going to be able to bounce back as well as they believe they they will. Right. Um. So I'll I'll take the Panthers. Give me the team with maybe the most offensive weapons. And and we'll we'll see what happens. Right. Okay. So I'm with you 100. I think I have the Panthers taking that division as well. And the uh, finally the NFC West. I mean, I think we, it's basically, will it be the Seahawks or the Cardinals? I think is the question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, who, who are you taking? I'm leaning Cardinals at the, at this time. I, I, I don't think Seattle is as good as they've been in, in recent years. Um, we touched on earlier with the running game. We don't know who their running back is going to be. And they need a running back in that offense to, to help it. Um, they like to to run the play action, bootleg, and get Wilson out in space because he's better on the run. He's better in space like that than just dropping back and throwing the ball. Mm-hmm. I don't think teams will, will care as much and they'll just attack Wilson on those kind of plays just because the running game won't be as strong as it has been in the past. I like the Cardinals. I think this this is the year that they'll They'll win the division, make another run like they did a couple of years ago. I'm starting to believe in, in that defense more and more every time they add someone. And right. I think they'll be able to to rush the passer and get picks on the back end. I'll I'll, I'll take that that defense, um, and I'll take Bruce Arians crazy Chuck it offense. Right. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I t- <laughs> I uh, I take the Cardinals as well. But I would I mean I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle won the division. Um, not just because they've always been kind of in the mix. Um, and you know, up until recently we're usually heavily favored to win the division, Yeah. but also what we're seeing, we're seeing Russell Wilson develop each year and it's not in your face development, but if you look at it, he's, they've opened, they open up the passing game a little more each year. Um, and you're seeing it if you look through recent years, you're also seeing like Doug Baldwin's average draft position of fantasy is going up each year yep. because Russell Wilson is throwing the ball more and he's throwing it better. Yep. Um, so I'm curious to see what happens with that, but either way, I still take the Cardinals. Okay. So lastly, um, I th- uh, let's talk about, let's pick one game we're each looking forward to this year. Um, I have a few written down, um, but we're getting short on time. So, um, give me one game that you're super looking forward to this season. I'll I'll just go right out first week. One of the late games, Seahawks at Packers, always a good game. Those two teams have starting to get a, a little bit of a history going here. Give me one of two of the the, the best teams in the NFC. I'll I'll, I'll be happy to watch that at uh, at four twenty five that day. Yeah, I uh, that's going to be an excellent game. Um, <laughs> it's uh, like you said, you know, they're getting a bit of a history going here. Um, something like a rivalry. That being said, when they played last year at Lambeau, uh, it, it was not a good. It was it was ugly. It was yeah. really ugly. The yeah, Packers right. won 30, 38 to ten. It was uh, Wilson had what five picks? Uh, five, six, five or six, at least five. Um, you probably get that number uh, uh, pretty quickly here. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Just it. It seemed weird. It's. It, I, I remember watching it and kind of looking around, going, "What? What am I watching? This is not <laughs> Russell Wilson. 
Russell Wilson is not the guy who's taking weird chances and throwing it into double coverage and throwing it really bad. Yeah. It just seemed it seemed like he had a really a really weird game, which he had eleven picks all year, right? And he <laughs> five. threw five. Yeah, and he threw five <laughs> in one of them. Yeah, and I mean, it's uncharacteristic of him, but not against playing the Packers because even when they won the in twenty fourteen when they won the NFC Championship game against the Packers, threw a bunch of picks in that game too. But, uh, you know, then they obviously came back and won. You know, um, excellent, excellent game that was. So, uh, you know, I think that's going to be an awesome game. I think the chances of it being another 38 to 10 blowout one way or the other are pretty slim. Um, so, and for the game that I'm looking uh, forward to the most, um, I mean, I'm, I got to go with it's a bit of a homer pick here, but. I think a number of people are going to be looking forward to the Super Bowl rematch. Um, that should have been the game to start yeah. the season, but they decided to go with the Chiefs at Patriots. But yeah, I think seems weird. Yeah, seems a little weird to me. Some people are saying, "Oh, they want to open the whole season by opening the new stadium in Atlanta," but Atlanta is actually starting the season on the road, so <laughs> they're starting on the road anyway. Yeah. Um, so either way, um, we are going to get it. We're going to get it in Week Seven. Um, and it's going to be um, Falcons at Patriots, and it's going to be. I think I think we're in for another game, kind of like the one we saw in the Super Bowl. I mean, not in terms of uh, of swings of swings, but in terms of a nice close score. I think it's going to be a tight game. I think the Atlanta defense is going to be improved because um, everyone, you know, going into the Super Bowl last year people were talking endlessly about the speed of the Atlanta defense and they're really fast, but they're also really young and they also got discouraged or tired or whatever they did in the second half or, you know, in the last quarter of the game um, where they just seemed totally unable to stop anything. Um, but I think we're going to see defense that is going to be more disciplined. I think they're going to be able to control uh, the game throughout 60 minutes better than they did last year. I mean, last year, um, I don't know off the top of my head what the number was for the whole season, but I know for the first half of the season, they were uh, first in the league in how many points they allowed in the fourth quarter. Through seven games, they had given up like 65 fourth quarter points or something like that. It was just insane. So anyway, I think we see a better defense. Um, and I think, you know, obviously they're going to be looking – for revenge they're going to be out for blood so uh i think that's that's the game that i'm looking forward to the most so with that being said uh we'll call it a week um so want to thank everyone for listening if anyone has any fantasy questions they want to ask uh, want to ask us that we address in a future podcast um by all means uh you can send us an email dj fantasy football podcast at gmail.com and uh, we'll go ahead and take a look at it. So, uh, yeah, it's going to do it. So uh, thanks to everyone who listened, and uh, we'll see you next time.